And one of the things that I think about when I reflect on the work that the foundation does is my experience 14 years ago when I was going through the transfer process. And I remember that some colleges weren't interested in transfer. And now to be back at the foundation in this new role and see how many institutions are talking about transfer and are excited about transfer, I think it's a testament to the work that the foundation has done advocating for students and really showing the leadership potential and, um, and the need for, for, for schools to look at, at um, community college as a pipeline to transfer. Hello everyone and welcome to this edition of Ingenious U, the podcast where we get to speak with higher ed's most creative thinkers and doers. Today I'm speaking with the recently appointed Executive Director of the Kaplan Educational Foundation known as KEF, Nolvia Delgado. A little bit about our guest. Nolvia is committed to the idea that education has the power to transform lives. She experienced that transformation herself as the first in her family to attend and to graduate from college and is a proud alumna of the Kaplan Leadership Program. This commitment has fueled Nolvia's work in building public-private partnerships that improve access to education for underrepresented students. Before joining the foundation as executive director, she was director of partnerships at Cypress Hills Development Corporation in Brooklyn, the fundraising and charitable partnerships manager for Kaplan International in London, and a community engagement specialist overseeing U.S. educational pipeline programs at global law firm Cleary, Gottlieb, Steen, and Hamilton. She holds a Bachelor of Arts degree from Smith College, which is just north of us at Bay Path, and an associate's degree from Manhattan Community College, CUNY. Novia, I have so been looking forward to our conversation. It is a pleasure to welcome you to the Ingenious U community. Thank you, Melissa. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, 14 years ago, you were accepted into the Kaplan Educational Foundation's highly selective Kaplan Leadership Program. And here you are, you've returned to take the helm of the foundation as its executive director. Can you share something about the journey that has brought you here? Where are you from? Where did you go to school? And important influences in your life and in your journey uh, to this point? Yeah, of course. So my journey begins in the Dominican Republic. I was born in Dominican Republic and came to the US when I was five with my mom and my brother. Early on, my mom instilled in us a belief that education would be the gateway to opportunities for us. She didn't complete high school, but she understood the power of education. That meant sitting down with us and doing our homework. Although she didn't understand the language, she knew homework was important and she always made sure that we did our homework and we were trying our best. Um, and throughout my life, that's been a theme uh, that I've that I've always strived that that I've always strived um, to accomplish is just to make sure that I was receiving the best education possible. Um, and for me, I think a turning point was really when I was accepted as a Kaplan Leadership Program scholar because until that point, I knew education was important. I was already attending community college, but I didn't fully understand. What, what it meant to go away to school and the opportunities that going away to a school like Smith would present, would present for me and what that meant for my family and I. Um, 
ultimately, while I was at Smith, I, I wrote a paper on disparities in education post Brown versus Board of Ed. And that sort of was a wake up call to me. I, before then I attended a large New York City public high school, there was a lot of inequalities and everything that's wrong with the system, I feel like I experienced in high school, but I didn't understand all the policy decisions that, that went into um, creating that, that atmosphere. And I thank Smith for giving me the opportunity to really understand the systemic issues um, that were affecting low-income communities. And that sort of planted a seed and a desire for me to do more around education. And when it came time for me to graduate and I was deciding what to do next, um, I had two job offers. One was working in politics um, and another was working for the foundation. So my first job after college was working for the foundation. Um, and I ultimately decided to work for the foundation. And it was such an eye-opening experience, everything that happens behind the scenes, all the advocacy that takes place. Um, and that sort of led me on this trajectory of educational equity that I've been pursuing throughout my career. Um, fast forward to a couple of months ago when I received a call about the executive director position. For me, it really was coming full circle. Um, and it was such an amazing opportunity to give back to an organization that has given me so much. And I, I thank my, what I call my personal board of directors for um, taking the time to help me make this decision. They're the ones that I call on whenever I'm making major life decisions. Um, and I thank Nancy, um, my predecessor, for her guidance and support throughout my educational journey and my career. So what was the first job you had there at the foundation right out of college? So my first job at the foundation was actually a very, it was a very interesting role. Um, it was a new role where I did some academic advisement and some scholar support, but then I also helped with our recruitment process. So I actually had my hands in all the different buckets that, that the foundation needed in order, in order to run. What a great experience. Although I, I, I bet you didn't imagine you'd be coming back uh, perhaps 14 years later. Uh, in this new role, or maybe you did have it have it on your on your radar. So, but I I I can only imagine uh, what it must mean to you to be back in leadership now at this organization that's had such an impact on supporting your journey. And so I'm curious, is it possible to come home again? Yeah, it's definitely coming home. I feel like even after. I had the initial job at the foundation. I was always around. I always volunteered. I always attended events. Um, so I never really left um, because like you said, it, it was home. But now coming back in a leadership role and being able to use my experience, not only as an alum of the program, but also as a volunteer and then being able to incorporate my professional experiences. I've worked in the private sector. I've worked in the social sectors and being able to take all of that knowledge and think about the way that we're that we operate and how we can better serve our students has just been so rewarding and i've only been here a couple of months but um i'm definitely enjoying that aspect of the work yeah no and you've you're obviously well suited for it with your experience uh but also the passion that you have uh for this so what is your vision what's your leadership vision for the foundation, what, what kind of impact do you hope to have? So I think of the foundation, we've been doing this work for 16 years now, and we have 
um, built very strong relationships with selective institutions. They know who we are, they know our students, and we've done a phenomenal job in that area. What I would like to do now is take some of the lessons that we've learned uh, when it comes to transfer and apply those to career. I think what's missing in um, the career sector is they're not seeing community college students as, as part of their diversity pipelines. And they're not seeing community college as freshman and sophomore year. So I would like to change that perception for employers. When you think of internships, even internships that are accepting sophomore applicants, they're not recruiting at community college students. So one of the things that I would like to do in my vision is to change that perception for employers and create those pathways to leadership, um, not only for our students, but for other community college students. Yeah, boy, is that gonna be important. Any thoughts as to why they don't see community colleges in that way? So what, what, I, what I've noticed is that a lot of employers view community college as a terminal degree. You get your associates and that's it. Um, they're not seeing it as a pipeline to leadership. And similar to the work that the foundation did 16 years ago when we started, it's just an overlooked um, population. Mm -hmm. So I'm hoping that by having these conversations, and um, highlighting the work that, that we're doing and the, the leadership potential at community college will be able to change that perspective. Yeah, indeed. So, so tell me more about the work of the foundation. What is your mission? Uh, why do you exist? Uh, how do you carry out your mission? And, uh, and then what aspects of the work are you personally most excited about? Awesome. So and I'll answer that question twofold. One is I'll talk about my personal experience 16 years ago, uh, 14 years ago, going through the transfer process and where we are today. But the mission of the foundation is to help high achieving community college students transfer to selective institutions. And I think the beauty of the foundation is that we've been doing this work for 16 years when no one was talking about transfer. Um, like I said, transfer is still an overlooked um, population. Community college students are often overlooked. Um, and and the foundation identified a need and it's still a need today. Uh, and what we do is so much more than writing a check. We have a human centric approach where we believe that each student is unique, their needs are unique and we work with them to create a leadership plan and to help them address uh, their needs. So it's not just about helping them transfer. Of course, that's very important and it's key but we work on the student holistically. We help them become leaders, not only in their communities, but also in, in their fields. And one of the things that I think about when I reflect on the work that the foundation does is my experience 14 years ago when I was going through the transfer process. And I remember that some colleges weren't interested in transfer. And now to be back at the foundation in this new role and see how many institutions are talking about transfer and are excited about transfer. I think it's a testament to the work that the foundation has done advocating for students and really showing the leadership potential and, um, and the need for, for, for schools to look at, at um, community college as a pipeline to transfer. So how many students do you work with in a so given I, year? In a given year, we work with roughly 70 to 100 students. And that's a mix of students who are getting ready to transfer, students who are enrolled in, um, who are enrolled in four-year institutions and also our alumni. We work with our alumni very closely as well. So you continue to be involved with students after they transfer, is that? We, we do. do. So we work yeah. very, very closely with students. 
um, once they transfer to make sure that they have everything that they need to graduate from their from their four year institutions. I think sometimes people um, people forget the importance of um, having a support network in navigating this different world. If you look at um, the students that we're serving, most of them come from come from New York City and now we've expanded to New Jersey. Um, and it's very different than let's say a school in California or a school in Northampton, Massachusetts. So we help students navigate um, the challenges of transferring to an institution that, that's different from what they're used to. Yeah, that's a, it's a big culture shift, culture change, isn't it? It is, it's yeah. a big culture shift. Which you experienced yourself, which, um, you know, I, I, I can only imagine makes you very, very effective not only in leading the organization, but understanding firsthand the experience of your students. Now, where where do the where do your students transfer to? I, I imagine it's a lot of different institutions, but are there, you know, are there some that you are sending students to uh, in greater numbers? Yeah. So one of the things that we look at is one a transfer friendly school. We want to make sure that the institutions that our school that our students are are transferring to are transfer friendly and have the, the support that they need in order to thrive. Um, and also we wanna make sure that it's a good fit for our students. So for example, of course, my alma mater Smith is, a, is um, one, of our, one of our partners. We have um, at least one student transfer there, um, each cohort. University of Michigan has been um, a huge partner as well. Brown University, Stanford, um, Mount Holyoke, Wellesley, uh, Yale. And this year we have our first student going to Princeton. So we're excited about that. Great. Um, very exciting for us. There has never been a better time to study higher education. And the Bay Path University Master's Degree Program in Higher Education Administration has been designed with this in mind. Through the highly practical and relevant coursework, you will learn to identify emerging trends and apply cutting edge practices to address the challenges faced by higher education professionals today. Classes start every eight weeks and are taught entirely online by supportive professionals who have deep knowledge and skill in the practice of higher education. This Bay Path program offers unique concentrations in enrollment management, institutional advancement, and online teaching and program administration. There's even a joint entry track with a doctoral program in higher education leadership and organizational studies for highly qualified applicants. Whether you are already a higher education professional or you're looking to switch professions to work at a college or university, the Masters in Higher Education Administration from Bay Path University will expand your career opportunities and provide you with personal mentoring and lifelong networks of like-minded professionals. Take the next step. Visit our website at baypath.edu slash higheredadmin. The need for qualified administrators in higher education has never been greater. Again, that's baypath.edu slash higheredadmin. Tell me a little bit more about what transfer friendly means to you. So 
when you say that a school is transfer friendly, what, what does that look like? So for us, one of the most important things is for a school to recognize that the needs of a transfer student are not the same as a first year student. Even if you're someone like me who transferred um, at, at what they call a traditional age, um, there's, still, there's still challenges that a student will face. Um, that differ from a first year school. Also for some of our students who are parents, um, they have different needs. They need to figure out schooling for their children. Um, and then there's also the financial piece of it. We wanna make sure that our students have strong financial aid packages um, and that the school offers them all the resources that they need, that there's someone that they can go to, that there are services on campus that they can utilize in order to, to thrive. Like, of course, we're there and we're supporting them, but we wanna make sure that the school is also supportive of the student. Excellent. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm, I'm curious what you're seeing in the experiences of the students with whom you work, especially right now. Um, we're still in the midst, hopefully the tail end of the pandemic, but we both know what that has uh, done. Uh, for so many of our students. So what are you seeing? What are the, the challenges that you're seeing in the experiences of the students that you work with? That, that, that's a great question. And it's, it's such a weird space, right? Because on the one hand, the world is reopening. And what does that mean? Um, especially for, for students who have spent the last two years attending Zoom University. Um, so one of the things that's really helping with students, helping students navigate um, their social, improve their social skills, getting adjusted to being in, to attending in-person meetings. So that's been, that's been a big priority for us. Also, when it comes to social emotional support, making sure that our students have social emotional support either on campus or in their communities. Um, as we know, COVID-19 has impacted black and brown communities the most. Um, and what, what it's done is amplify a lot of the issues that our students have, have faced. So our students have always been caregivers, um, the primary breadwinners for their families, but now you know, in, in this new reality, um, a lot of those issues have been amplified. So we've been working to make sure that they have all the services that they need in order to focus on their, on their studies. Are you seeing any trends in terms of how students are uh, going to college now? They've been online, many of them, for a couple of years. Are, are the students you work with excited to get back on campus or do they prefer to stay, uh, to stay on Zoom and go online or are they looking for a hybrid kind of experience? I think it really depends on the students. So some of our students are really excited to be back on campus and interact with other students while others um, feel more comfortable being, uh, being um, attending class virtually. So it really depends on the student. It depends on their needs. So there's sort of a mix of both. Um, and then you do have the students who enjoy the hybrid. So being able to um, meet people in person and then being able to take a step back and, um, and, and do classes online. Well, and that's again where your support is so critical because you can help students figure out which, which delivery is going to be best suited for what they need to succeed. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And one of the things that we're doing in our program is next year, after being completely um, virtual for the past two years, is that we're transitioning to a hybrid model. So we want to make sure that if students are transitioning to in-person or virtual, 
that they're ready, that they're prepared for, for either one of those scenarios. So we're looking at our curriculum and we're making changes to adjust for this new reality that we're all, that we're all navigating. Sure. Yeah, that's, that's very smart. So are there some exemplary programs or an exemplary program you could tell us about, you know, a, a school or a program at a school that is doing uh, a, a really exceptional job in supporting the students with whom you work? Yeah, so I think there are there are a couple of schools that that come to mind. Um, but I would have to say that a lot of our students who have gone to Brown University have done exceptionally well. And Brown really does a phenomenal job at providing transfer students with all the resources that they need in order in order to thrive. Um, so definitely like Brown stands out. Um, and of course, I'll have to say Smith, and it's not because I went there. Um, but even interacting with, um, with some of the students that are currently at Smith, uh, Smith really does a phenomenal job at providing internships and all different types of study abroad opportunities that transfer students can take a part of. Sometimes it's a little more difficult in, uh, at certain schools for students to study abroad. Um, and that's something that a lot of our students are interested in. So I, I think that there are, there are schools that are doing really great at um, making sure that transfer students have the same opportunities as first years. How about a student success story? Do you have a favorite, a favorite one? Um, I have, that's such a tough question. I have so many, um, but what I, I do have um, two that come to mind. So this year, two of our scholars actually um, graduated from medical school. So this is, um, for us, it's, it's been great to see students who I worked with when I was working at the foundation um, all those many, many moons ago who were talking about wanting to go to medical school and making a difference in their community and giving back. And to see that they just graduated from medical school, that's been, I think, one of the most rewarding, um, rewarding aspects of my job is just seeing, seeing those, um, those success stories. It doesn't get much better than that, right? That's the that's the reminder every day of why you do what you do. So yeah. how exciting. So what are the top challenges that your organization is facing right now? It I'm I'm guessing some of it when you mentioned that you're going to go to hybrid, that that's in response to a challenge, maybe. Um, but maybe can you talk a little bit about your top challenges? Yeah, so definitely, I think navigating this new world and all the changes and restrictions and um, COVID and what does that look like? What, how can we make sure that we're protecting our students and our staff? And like everyone else, right, we're trying to figure this out. Um, so that's definitely been a challenge. Um, and also in, in recent years, there's also been, um, there hasn't been, a, a, there hasn't been um, the same level of investment in community colleges. So I think that's also that's also been been a challenge for us and also figuring out how we support our students now that we know that, you know, in this new reality, their their personal circumstances and the barriers that they're facing have been amplified. So how can we ensure that the students have everything that they need to succeed, given that they're facing more challenges? Um, and one of the ways that we're doing that is by partnering with community-based organizations who are able to provide students with um, some of the services that we don't have the capacity to help them with. Which is very, that's very uh, smart because to recognize that you can't do everything yourself and then to find 
who to partner with to get those those assets and those resources. So good good for you. You are off to a great start as executive director. So let me, let me just ask you, as you reflect on your experience and your work with the foundation, how might colleges and universities better support first gen and underrepresented students in navigating higher education? Do you have a top five or top 10 list of things that every college and university needs to have on its radar? I, I think that's, that's a great question. And for me, one of the things that automatically comes to mind is advisement. Student need advisors who understand that first gen, low income students, underrepresented students, their needs are just different. Um, and, and they need a little extra help in navigating these new spaces. So definitely having um, strong advisors who recognize these differences. Um, so that's top of the list. Um, strong financial aid packages. We wanna make sure that students not only are getting into these schools, but that they can afford to attend, attend these schools. Um, career guidance, for, especially for first generation students who um, may be the first in their families to have to decide which health and which um, between different job offers and navigate things like 401ks and, um, and in health insurance decisions. So that's financial literacy, of course. Um, so I think those will be my, my, top, my top five. Let me ask you about the advisement because so many colleges or universities still rely heavily on a faculty advisement model. And as you probably know, most faculty are not trained uh, to be advisors. Um, you know, there's there's a difference in how uh, advising happens. Uh, you you're probably familiar with the the developmental uh, advisement model, which is much more holistic, and that's not necessarily something that faculty uh, are trained in or or ascribed to. So, do you have any thoughts about how to uh, ensure good advisement? Can faculty do this? Should they do this, or is there a different model that colleges need to consider? So I actually just posted about this on my LinkedIn and the oh. importance of having um, strong academic advisement. I, I think it ultimately comes down to the faculty member. I think some faculty are great advisors, um, but if they are going to be the ones um, that the schools are relying on, that they need to have the proper training. Um, and I think it's it's maybe a hybrid model. It's not just relying solely on your, on your faculty, but regardless of who you use as a, as an advisor, they need to be someone who understands the needs of the students and are able to help them navigate um, navigate the school. I think of our advisement model, which is a human-centric advisement model that looks at each student individually and provides holistic wraparound support services. And I think that works really well because the reality is that every student's experience is different. They have different needs. And in order for them to succeed, there's different resources that they'll, that they'll need. Um, so I am a big fan of um, human-centric advisement models um, that recognize that it's not a one-size-fits-all, um, which I feel like is what a lot of schools um, tend to lean towards. It's just very, very simple. Let's look at your classes, but not recognizing that um, when students show up at your door, they have so many needs. Yeah, exactly. It, it tends to be transactional 
as opposed to human centric. And I think the point you're making is really important. I'll have to get your blog. I'll have to read the blog article and then maybe we can um, post it here in the, the show notes if you don't if you don't mind, if that'd be okay. No, so it's just a short LinkedIn um, response, but definitely I'll share, I'll share okay. the link with you. Good, okay. So here's our final question. This is a signature question we ask of all of our guests on the show. What's on your radar right now that you are especially excited about? Is there a new project, an idea, or an innovation that is occupying your thinking these days? So, so there are two. Um, one is definitely focusing on career and changing the perspective of um, employers and um, creating more pathways for transfer students um, to pursue leadership roles. So there's that, but then there's also um, new partnerships with community-based organizations, and specifically community-based organizations that work with high school students. And the thought process behind that is that, you know, by June, of a student senior year, they know that they're attending community college. So by starting to engage with community-based organizations and starting to engage with high school students sooner, we will be able to provide them with a lot of the insight and knowledge that they need to succeed, to thrive, and to start thinking about transfer before they even step foot on their community college campus. That's very exciting. Very exciting. So I'll be uh, looking to see how that how that goes and uh, what the impact is, which I imagine it will be uh, very good. So Nolvia, is there anything I didn't ask you that you would love to share or like to share with our listeners? I think the only thing that I wanna share with the listeners, is if you're thinking about transfer, we have, we have a transfer guide, definitely look at our transfer guide. And also there are so many opportunities out there. Um, definitely take advantage and you don't lose anything by, by applying to any opportunities that, that you're presented with. So just, just go for it. Okay, that's a great note to end on. So thank you so very much for your time and for sharing your experience and your very valuable insights with our listeners. We'll, we'll be sure, we'll get that guide and also um, add a link to that in the show notes for folks so they can have easy access. So, but thank you. Thank you so very much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Melissa. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of An Ingenious You. This is Melissa Morrisolson, your host. We are very excited about our season four conversations. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on a single episode. And if you like what you hear, be sure to rate us and let your friends and colleagues know so that they too can join the Ingenious You community. I invite you to visit our website for the Center for Higher Education, Leadership and Innovative Practice at baypath.edu slash chelip, C-H-E-L-I-P, where you will find information about our monthly free leading edge thinking and higher education webinars, as well as our just launched YouTube channel, where you'll find full video interviews with our most highly rated conversations from previous seasons. And while on this site, you can subscribe so you don't miss out on the release of new content and upcoming webinars. That's all for now. Thanks so very much for listening. Thank you.